0: Kahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Kahen and Little Red Hen – Just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida.
1: Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck. Featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner.
0: Well, welcome, friends, to another edition of On The Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman, direct from the K-H-E-N Caboose, 106.9, on your FM dial. And it always says, podcast or iTunes. And uh, so relax, put your feet up next to the coal stove here in the old caboose as we roll along, because we're in the middle of a wonderful interview with James. And James Sobey is, is he's the president of everything. One thing he's president of is Colorado, Colorado Association of railroad passengers. And you can join Rail by simply going to that website, just go to Rail and there'll be uh, all kinds of joining information. And if you're a member, you'll be in time to go the day before Memorial Day, up to the top of the big 10 curve uh, outside of Golden. Very, very exciting curve, because that's and that's the day that the first time we'll have um, daily passenger service on the Zephyr. And that is the front yard. I know we're coming around to this. That is the front yard of Conductor Brad, who is the regular or one of the regular conductors on that run. And so hopefully that afternoon, a lot of people on the Sunday afternoon before, before, uh, uh, later, uh, before Memorial Day will be out in his front yard, waving and cheering as the um, as his train comes by, he won't be on it. He'll be in the front room there uh, waving his hand and, and so on. And if you become a member today of Colorado, I don't know if you're ready for this. If you become a member, I personally have promised to buy a lemon-lime drink, which his daughter is going to be making in the in stand there. Uh, and I hope I can make it. Uh, if for some reason I can't, I'll I'll pay it forward on that lemon-lime. It's really good. All right, enough about that party. <laughs> Let's. But I imagine James Soby, our guest today, I imagine he'll be at that party, or he might be. Well, do you think you'll be there, uh, Jim?
1: Yeah, I intend to. I'll be talking a little bit about Front Range Rail if I can make it up there. So.
0: Oh, nice. Uh,
1: nice. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, Brad. Uh, Brad's a key element of all of our activities. He's a, of course a Colorado member. He worked closely with. Uh, And of course, Amtrak to get the Winter Park Express ski train running again, and uh, which has been a boon to passenger rail because all those people taking the ski train suddenly wonder why we can't have this kind of service up and down the front range. So it's been great for uh, promoting passenger rail service in Colorado. We're hoping Amtrak, we haven't heard yet what their plans are, but we're sure hoping they'll resume that service.
0: Oh yeah, oh I would hope so. Very popular, very popular service, and um, pretty pretty exciting what Winter Park did to keep it there. Winter Park rebuilt their platform, uh, heated their platform, did did a lot to uh, to welcome it, uh, which is good. But but you are so uh, busy there, James. My goodness, uh, so you're having a hearing tomorrow. This is on a bill in in the Colorado House. And you'll be getting right. witnesses together.
1: Yeah, well, we're gonna we're, we're gonna limit witnesses because they're on a short stick now. Uh, they're running out of time. You know, we had well, Forrest, you were there. We had what forty witnesses in the Senate yes. side, which yes. meant yes. we took three, two or three hours to get our testimony done. It was fantastic. No complaints here. But on the other hand, once they're down to the final weeks of the legislative session, spending four hours on a hearing uh, <laughs> might be more than than we actually need. We're counting on getting enough votes to get this thing passed. This is the front range, the creation of a front range pastoral rail district. Yeah. And so we're going to try. I'll go up there. Uh, a couple of other Colorado members will be testifying. Well, we're just trying to get some people from. Uh, Colorado Springs, and from Larimer County and places like that to testify. But we'll try to keep it fairly limited, just so uh, we don't use up too much time. They've got a full docket on that committee. It's the House Transportation and Local Government Committee.
0: Committee. Pretty nice. And we had a woman from Pueblo who chaired that for a time. I don't know if
1: she's Still yeah, there, she's not... a kind of sponsor of our legislation. Uh, oh gosh, Beth! Um, oh Lord, a big oh a Lord. big rail rail supporter. Yeah, right, right. I'm, I'm looking around for my bill, and I'd give oh. you her name, but anyway, she's been she's been great for years. I've testified to her committees many times. So,
0: yeah, and and we we had her briefly on this show once early days, a long time ago. We had her on this show, and um, she was. That was interesting too, well, let's not get into all that. Wow, so many questions, so little time. Um, All right, let's get back to this link that we've had these callers asking about. Now, how would the link go from Pueblo to La Junta to catch the Southwest Chief? Now the Santa Fe Railroad, uh, well, yeah, the Santa Fe did that every day. So those tracks are obviously still there,
1: we assume. Yeah, the, uh, how that would work, we will know a lot more about in a year, a little more than a year. We've received a federal grant that's been matched by the state, by our commission and by Colorail uh, to do a feasibility study of how a train could run from La Junta to Pueblo and on to Colorado Springs and return, probably one train north, one train south each day to meet with the Southwest chief. Uh, that's called through car service. And it's been on our plate for a number of years now as a way to get front range rail underway. And what would happen is uh, the Southwest chief would come through from Chicago and stops in La Hunta, there's a crew change there. Uh, One or two cars would then be taken off of that train. A new engine would be attached to them and then it would depart for uh, Pueblo and then on up to Colorado Springs. The train would turn in Colorado Springs and return later in the day. So you'd have, you'd have the same day service up and back. And uh, we haven't analyzed the ridership that might materialize in Colorado Springs, but Amtrak's revenue and ridership people did look at what might happen in Pueblo. And it was significant, something like uh, 14,000 passengers and a, a, a million five in revenue would would be obtained for the Southwest Chief just by having that through car service up to Pueblo. Onto the springs, I presume, would add even more. However, it's a uh, heavily used freight line right now, single track, and quite a few modifications would have to be made for safety and for uh, to obtain passenger speeds, uh, It's kind of directional in that most of the traffic going down on that line from the Springs through Pueblo to La Junta and over to Los Animas and on down to uh, uh, Texas, most of that traffic is heading south. So the line, since um, passenger service ended, the line has been kind of remodeled to be pretty much directional. So that would definitely cause some problems. We would have to probably install some passing sidings for, for freight trains if we want to run those passenger trains on a on a high on a reasonably high speed schedule, and uh, and that would be expensive. Plus, we would have to install a more safety grade crossing provisions and this kind of stuff. Right now, the trains, the freight trains, don't run at a really high speed, and they don't need to pull over because it's directional. So one train follows another on down. So, you know, it's kind of, uh, this is common. A lot of Amtrak trains run on single freight train tracks, but those have been designed with signaling that's bi-directional and all the safety issues have been dealt with. So we would have to deal with that. We'd have to determine uh, how much would that cost? Who would pay for it? And uh, when could service start? and First of all, is the service even reasonable? Can we even provide it? So that's in the wings. We have the money to do the feasibility study. We've awarded a contract to a uh, firm that looks at questions like this and uh, they'll start that analysis. I think I have a brief meeting with them coming up either this week or next week. And then they'll start that analysis. It'll take about a year. It requires a lot of computer modeling Uh, we model how freight trains move and how long it takes to start and stop and how passenger trains would move. Very complex. And uh, once the modeling is done, we'll have a really good idea. Does this service make sense? And, uh, and if it does, then we'll attempt to move forward with it.
0: And do you mind if I get in here for a second? Go ahead, Rick. Uh, Yeah. James, um, you said that um, the, the Pueblo link, put together would increase ridership to 14,000. That's a yearly amount.
1: Yeah. Yeah. About 14,000 riders a year would board in in Pueblo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an estimate, you know, we don't know for for sure sure. where, you know, uh, it was, it was a rough estimate. And this study we're going to do this analysis, the feasibility uh, research will determine a much more accurate figure. And that'll have a lot to do with whether we want to move forward with it. Does Amtrak really want to do this? Will the ridership increase? You know, they, you know, they can't afford to extend too much service uh, unless it can pay for itself. So exactly, that, that's, that's the requirement. So I'm being, you can tell that I'm being cautious about this. I don't want to get people expecting this is going to happen and, because we don't know yet whether it will. Yeah. Thank you.
0: But it's exciting. That it could exactly. happen, and as you say, and the Santa Fe used to run it. But of course, that was a different day and uh, different way of running passenger. But um, it's still pretty darn exciting. Yeah. And uh, when you think of all the little towns that that could be served, well, are served as far as Pueblo is concerned, even even now, boy, that that expands your your ridership even
1: more. Well, there. you know, and part the uh, the reason uh, another reason this is exciting. Um, not to get too excited about it, but the exciting is it's the first leg on rerouting the train through Pueblo to Trinidad. Uh, right now, yes. two cars come off of the train and go up to Pueblo and perhaps Colorado Springs. But someday the whole train would run up to Pueblo and then down to Walsenburg and on to Trinidad. That's the reroute we've proposed. Our legislature would like to see that happen. It all has to be proven that it's you know, feasible and can be done. That route from Pueblo to Trinidad has a lot of curves in it, and it's a directional route to some extent. Coming the other direction with freight trains, so you know a lot of work and a lot of modifications would have to go into this. But that's not unusual for you know constructing passenger service. So the question is, does it make sense from a you know ridership point of view?
0: And of course, you you would you're going to have you're certainly going to have some lag times, and while people understand even what a train is. That's the other thing is that, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of up there in years, but uh, we've got a whole generation of, like my granddaughter I was just talking with, they, they, they've never ridden a train. They, well, not, she isn't, but that's, most of her friends never have ridden a train. And right. uh, ch- changing well,
1: that. that's right. You know, on the Winter Park Express, for the three years we operated that up, Amtrak ran that up to Winter Park and back down to Denver. I would venture, we put uh, seven hosts on each of those trains for safety purposes, quite frankly, but we also, you know, uh, help Winter Park uh, uh, with uh, advising these, you know, these riders on what ski slopes are open and, you know, what other activities are available up in Winter Park. We get a lot of traffic of people who aren't necessarily going to ski or snowboard. About a third of the passengers just want to go visit Winter Park and enjoy the day up there. So we spend a lot of time advising them on what You know what's available, where they can eat, all this kind of stuff. So we're docents as well as safety people. We man the doors to make sure nobody opens any doors when we're going through the Moffat Tunnel, and when we pull into the stops. So it's a it's a multi-purpose run. But the the important thing is we talk to them um, if they're willing. We're not you know we're not salespeople. We're much more uh, research types. But our hosts will talk to these people about passenger rail. And it turns out, you're right, about a third to a half of them have never been on a passenger train before. And so the the, the Winter Park Express may be their first passenger trip. And it's lucky that we're using the, uh, the long distance cars that Amtrak runs in the West, because they got a real sense of how comfortable and spacious and safe and convenient those rail cars are. Now, this is only a two and a half hour trip up to Winter Park and then a trip back down to Denver. But Nevertheless, we often hear. I think I've mentioned this before. uh, Forth, well, they'll often wonder why we can't have this kind of service up and down the front range. It just makes so much sense, and they see freight trains running up and down the front range. So the question is, couldn't we run passenger trains there? Well, we're going to find out as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, Uh, we we are going to find out, and that that leads us to another quick question: that is, will the demise of coal Free up uh, more trackage on uh, both the UP and the BNSF. And uh, I don't know. Well, I guess the demise of coal is uh, creeping up or seems to be the case.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I read. You know, if you read these railroad magazines, you know, business magazines about rail service and air service and what have you, yeah, they point out that coal traffic is down a significant amount. Uh, It hasn't totally gone away, but nevertheless, and you'll still see coal trains up and down the front range. Just not as many as you used to. So, yeah, that, one would imagine that will. Now, I'll tell you another thing so the freight robots don't want to just give up their ability to haul freight because one particular shipper is uh, reducing. So, for example, the BNSF Railway now runs an intermodal train from Seattle to Houston down through, down along the Front Range route. That train uh-huh. runs at about 70 miles an hour. As far as I'm concerned, it's great because it's almost a test case for running passenger trains. Much faster than a coal train, so you know they're going to look to see if they can generate more freight traffic on this same line. So they're not going to give up freight capacity, and we have to understand that and work with them.
0: Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah, we are we're sharing the rails, and um, you know apparently there's some push coming uh, legally. There's some push coming. I I I do read this in in the train magazines. Uh, legal push to get the um, the Class One railroads to do a better job with timekeeping uh, than they do, and uh, I don't know that Colorado's never really. We, we've we we've been involved in that a little bit. Um, where are, is Colorado still on on
1: yeah. the? Yeah, the issue is uh, you know the statute that created Amtrak. Uh, also provided that on shared passenger freight lines, uh, the freight trains by law are required to give preference to the passenger trains. The problem with the statute is there's no enforcement mechanism. And so uh, what happens is when the freight trains and the freight railroads get very busy, they look to their own. So the priority goes to the freight trains. And, and it's not hard to understand that when you have a lot of freight trains on a line and one passenger train, finding a siding for the freight train becomes more of a problem. Uh, and so they don't honor the law sufficiently. I think something like a th- two-thirds of these Amtrak trains are delayed, or two-thirds of the delays that occur on Amtrak trains are due to the dispatching uh, practices of the freight trains. So there is legislation proposed to create an enforceable standard. In other words, rather than just having in law, you must do this, there would be something in law sa- that says, and if you don't, the following consequences will ensue. Uh-huh. Now what those might be, and you know, obviously the railroads aren't gonna like this idea, the freight railroads and all the rest, so it's gonna be a struggle in Congress but I would imagine uh, we'll get some relief. It turns out over time that when Congress takes an interest in this, every now and then, the performance, the amount of delays that occur go down. So it's clear clear to me that (laughs) the freight railroads can seem to be able to dispatch these passenger trains a little better than they might normally do if they feel threatened. So we'll see what happens here, I don't know the BNSF, uh, the national advocacy group, the Rail Passengers Association, gives grades to the freight railroads. The one we're most concerned with, the BNSF Railway, I think it's a B plus. So they're a a little better than their colleagues. And so it's not, you know, it's not something we're battling with them over. But yeah, I mean, we'd like to see all passenger trains run on time. You know, Forrest, up until about oh, I don't know, uh, up until maybe the forest fires in 2015 or whenever it was, the Southwest chief had a 92% on-time performance. Yes. Imagine amazing. that. It was extro- It was the best passenger train on-time performance in the nation. And now it's down around, I think, less than 50% just because of, COVID- all, for all the reasons, COVID-19, all the different problems that have occurred both to the public and the private sector so it would be great to get that performance back up. That does have a bearing on ridership. It's one thing if your train's 30 minutes late or an hour late or something like this. It's another thing if you're eight hours late and you've missed your connection in California or Chicago or wherever you happen to be going, you know, missed your medical appointment in (laughs) Kansas City or Albuquerque, you know, these things we just can't tolerate. So, yeah, we support having an enforceable standard we don't want to do harm to the freight trains. We just want them to be more efficient about dispatching passenger service.
0: Yeah, uh, and and it, it seems as though, um, at least from Collarail point of view, there hasn't really been hostility toward the class ones, but um, certainly um, complaints for sure, for sure. sure. Well, and, we had uh, to
1: run the Winter Park Express up uh, the Union Pacific Moffat subdivision, you know, out of Denver, through the Moffat Tunnel into Winter Park. They had yeah. to cooperate. You know, their biggest issues were safety. If you'll recall, way back when, there wasn't even a platform in Winter Park and people got off of the old. Right train, into the center, right into the yeah. center, right the ballast. Yeah. And that's just no longer permissible under, you know, under ADA and all the other legal requirements for safety and Travel and everything else. So yeah, we had to lobby hard. We were able to get our Cdot to put a million dollars. We were able to get Denver to put a hundred thousand. Colorado itself put in, I think, two thousand bucks into building that platform up in Winter Park, a heated platform, which is, uh, you know, just an extraordinarily valuable asset to train travel up there. Mm-hmm. You know, there is talk now of moving the actual station from Fraser to Winter Park. Resort. I don't think that's going to happen because the you know the community probably wouldn't stand for it. But that platform has made a huge difference in terms of safety and convenience for skiers. And you know, there's a winter park or a winter sports disabled center up there. And Amtrak runs trains that have special provisions. You know, they're double uh, stack trains, not double stack trains, but you know, double yeah, uh, passenger yeah. trains. <laughs> and the, sure. and, and, Every third, every second car has a lower level passenger compartment, which is perfect for disabled folks who wanna go up and ski and have a, you know, carry out other winter sports up there. So, you know, this is an important attribute. You'll see at every Amtrak station now, you'll see that yellow strip that runs along the platform, whether it's a platform that dates from 1950 or a platform that's just been installed like Winter Park. It's another safety feature that we have to, you know, we just can't tolerate accidents. And rail is tremendously safe as it is, but we want no accidents if at all possible.
0: And doing pretty well, doing pretty well on that. At least according to this same article that I read, um, uh, it is not only the safest, it's it's darn near foolproof safe. I mean, that's, you just can't say that. Certainly about your automobile, for right. goodness sakes, no. No, you, you can't. and. Uh, Well, and of course, that brings up another whole cluster of questions about fares. I don't know how much we want to go into that, but there's this this feeling, apparently, that that your your coach fares are still relatively reasonable. But if you want to buy anything else, it's um, through the roof. And the question is, why? And I don't know that we can answer that, but uh, maybe Amtrak has.
1: Go ahead. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's a cross-subsidy situation, quite frankly. Uh, Long-distance fares in sleeper cars pay some, produce something, I don't know, this is off the top of my head, but something like 15% of the travelers or the ridership on these trains, but they pay 47% of the operating cost of the train
0: or yeah, of the revenue so.
1: the train. So, you know, the tickets are priced extremely high there's no doubt about that for sleeping compartments. And uh, we just don't know to what extent that impacts ridership. I think Amtrak probably does know, or their you know, revenue people have studied that question. I don't know what the answer is. But that's also a way of keeping coach fares lower, you know, which is very important because that's the majority of ridership. And those are folks who probably couldn't afford to pay For a bedroom to go across, you know, from Chicago to LA or something like that. So, uh, how that plays out on Front Range Rail remains to be seen. Our initial analysis: it costs. I hate to quote the IRS, but the Internal Revenue Service says it costs you fifty-six cents a mile to run your passenger car. That includes. Uh Now, nobody ever thinks about that. They think your tires. uh, That's right. The wear and tear on the car, the cost of insurance. All that kind of stuff comes out to, on average, 56 cents per mile. And so they reimburse you 56 cents a mile if you use your car for business. And uh, passenger rail probably is going to run somewhere between 25 and 35 cents a month. So, you know, until, once you get a market established, it will start to become clear to riders that it's smarter to ride the train, particularly if they commute and have an extra car so they can do so. Uh, I think that the a, the Auto, American Automobile Association pegged the annual cost of a car something like $9,000, $8,800. People just don't get, they don't understand this, how expensive cars are. And uh, so we wanna be competitive in time and we wanna be competitive in price. All of that will be um, developed in what's known as a service development plan, which the uh, rail district, if the legislature, in fact, passes the legislation this year and creates the rail district, which will be the group that actually funds and builds front range passenger rail, they will do the analysis that will uh, develop what those fares are going to be, or at least make a really good estimate of what those fares are gonna be. And that all that information will then be presented to the Colorado voters and they'll have to decide whether they're gonna authorize a you know a, a revenue source and a bonds, you know, the bonds to construct the line. So it's a you know, it's a difficult proposition, but that's that's how it's done.
0: That's an amazing statistic. I mean I always read that it costs half a dollar to drive your car or it costs twenty five cents to uh To ride a train, but that's that's pretty accurate apparently.
1: Well, yeah, I don't know how they do it. Uh, uh, Apparently, the IRS does an annual, very detailed study on this matter because it is a matter of uh, granting, you know, uh, businesses a deduction for. Sure. So they're, you know, am not going to the of, of all the people. The IRS are not going to take this lightly. So yeah. when they say 56 cents a mile, I think they're probably pretty serious. Uh, I hate to say it, it's probably more like 70 cents a mile or something. No, I don't know. But I shouldn't have said that on the air. No,
0: <laughs> you can say it. That's all right. That's fine. But but the 25 cents a mile. Well, what, what 23 cents a mile? Is that what we're saying? For no, 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 no,
1: no. I think, well, I don't know. That's That, that number's dates pretty yeah. far back. I think it's going to be over 30 cents a mile by the time we get something built and operating here. But I don't know for sure. It depends. You know, so much remains to be seen about how much it's going to cost to build this, which means we'll have to retire bonds. Uh, all those issues have to be addressed before we can really, you know, I, I feel fairly guarded about saying anything about it right now uh, yeah you know, and, oh you know, yeah justify I, I tell the legislature that I say look I can't answer that question exactly and I would be a fool to try because I don't want to be wrong and mislead people right. so right. right
0: yeah it's, it's uh, there's so much exciting happening in the the world of rail right now and the the what this show tries to say and tries to get out there is go ride a train, get yeah, on a train. Absolutely. I mean, that's what uh, On the Rails is about, getting you on the rails. Now, as far as what you'll be able to get on in the future and all that, then join Colorado, Colorado Association of Railroad Passengers. Just just look it up on the web, just dial in Colorado and there you will see James Sobe. There he is, Sobe, James Sobe. He so is the president so he is the president of. You might even see a picture of him there on the, on, the, on the website. We're just having a little bit of a laugh back here in the caboose about that, because that is, I tell you, it's a uh, you have the most carefully pronounced name in in uh, <laughs> rail in rail sh- in rail show. Yes. Oh and, gosh, uh, Forrest James needs to run here real soon, and we're all right. Let's let him. Let's get him off the caboose. He can be there on the footboard, get down on the footboard. We're all, we're gonna slow down as we go through this cornfield. We're gonna toss out a nice red, juicy flared, get that fuse, uh, can, can we get that fusey lit? All right, thank him again so much. And we need to give out a great big highball so to get on the train. So breathe in at the town of, well, three, how about that? <gasps> One, two, three, eyeball, ball!
1: eyeball, eyeball. Cahen is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chafee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889.